Amen. Praise the Lord. I'll invite you to turn in, to, in your Bibles to two openings of Scripture, Matthew chapter 8 and Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah chapter 53 and Matthew chapter 8. I want to talk to you tonight about uh, God's attitude toward uh, healing. Uh, as a matter of fact, we're going to, we, well, we've already begun a series that, uh, uh, on that uh, subject and we'll continue it for the number of weeks. I want to just take our time and, and talk about some things from God's perspective and what the Bible says belongs to us. And, um, you know, the Bible says that God gave us his word so that we could think his thoughts and understand his ways. Amen. That's why the Bible tells us to renew our mind to the word of God. That means the Bible is going to indicate things to us that we might not think in line with unless we apply ourselves to it and change our thinking and redirect it to think in line with what the Bible says. So we want to talk about God's attitude toward, uh, toward healing. Uh, without a doubt, the number one uh, cause for Christians not receiving their healing is because they're not convinced that it's God's will for them to be healed. And faith begins where the will of God is known. There's, it's absolutely impossible for you to exercise faith towards something you don't know God wants you to have. If, uh, if we gave an altar call tonight and somebody came to the altar and we started to lead them in a prayer of, of uh, making Jesus the Lord of their lives, confessing their, uh, Jesus as Lord, if, uh, if somebody spoke up and said, well, how do I know that he'll save me if I pray? Well, there's no way in the world you could get that person saved. You'd have to take them to the Bible and show them that Jesus died for their sins and that he rose again from the dead. And the reason that he rose again is so that they could be saved. Now, once they had knowledge of what God had already done for them and therefore identifying his will for their salvation, then it'd be the simplest thing in the world for them to exercise faith and just simply obey what the Bible said to do, ask Jesus into their heart and confess him as Lord and Savior, and then their lives would be changed. They'd be made a new creature in Christ Jesus. They'd get saved instantly. But the, the, the necessary ingredient would be them their knowledge that God wants them to be saved. Now, so much of the church world thinks God's picking winners and losers. He's picking who, who will be saved because the Bible clearly says not everybody will be. Yet the Bible also says that Jesus died for the sins of the world. It doesn't say Jesus died for the lucky ones. It said he died for the sins of the world. Well, how could those two scriptures be true? How could Jesus have died for the sins of the world if not everybody's going to be saved? Because it's up to the individual, the choice and the determination of the will of man, not the will of God. The will of God has already been established. The Bible is very clear when it says that he sent Jesus to the cross to die for the sins of all of mankind. That's already been done, but not everybody's going to accept that. That's why Jesus said, whosoever will, let him come unto me, and I will in no wise cast him out or turn him away. It's up to the individual. It's the choice of the individual. So have you found uh, Matthew chapter 8 yet? Let's talk about this a little bit, God's attitude toward healing. Let's start in verse 16. When the evening was come... They brought unto him, many, Jesus, talking about many that were possessed with devils, and he cast out the spirits with his word and healed a few of the sick people. Now, folks, I want you to understand something because in understanding what God has done for us concerning physical healing for the body, this is one of the most important scriptures you'll ever come across. When the evening was come, they brought unto Jesus many that were possessed with devils, and he cast out the spirits with his word and healed all that were sick. He healed all that were sick. Now, if we just stop reading right there, then there'd be room for somebody to say, well, yeah, but that was Jesus. He was here on the earth just to prove that he was the son of God. And so that's the reason that he healed all that were sick. And if the, if the Bible didn't tell us otherwise, then we'd be left with a dilemma. Is that why Jesus healed all that were sick? 
Was he just trying to make a name for himself? Was he just trying to prove that God had sent him to the earth? And once people accepted that he was sent to the earth, then we're left to our own devices to figure out why he was sent or what we're supposed to do with that. But notice verse 17. It says he healed all that were sick that it might be fulfilled. In other words, verse 17 tells us the reason that he healed all that were sick. Now, whatever somebody, you or me or somebody else might think of why Jesus healed the sick, Matthew eight seventeen tells us why he healed everybody that was sick. Jesus healed all that were sick that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. Now, we're going to come back to this, I imagine, so you might want to put, uh, put something here to save your place, but turn back with me now to Isaiah 53. Because here's where Isaiah said it. Isaiah 53, verse 4. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Now, we've talked about this in times past. It's an easy thing for you to look up. This word griefs in the Hebrew is the word uh, koli, K-H-O-L-E-E, and it's translated in many, in many other places in the Old Testament as sickness. It literally means sickness. The word sorrows is the word makob, M-A-K-O-B, and it's translated in many other places in the Old Testament as pains. So we're, if, we, if we're consistent... If the translators were, were consistent, and I, I can only assume that this was beyond their understanding of their ability to accept. Because there's no explanation for why they should translate this griefs and sorrows. When every other place they came up on, or almost every other place that they came up on these words in the Old Testament, it wasn't anything close to griefs and sorrows. It was sicknesses and pains. Surely he has borne our sicknesses and carried our pains. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. Now, if you put those two verses together, Matthew 8, 17 and Isaiah 53, 4, when the evening was come, verse 16 of Matthew 8, when the evening was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils and he cast out the spirits with his word and healed all that were sick that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. Now, I want you to notice that the, that the New Testament, which was written in Greek, uses different words, at least uh, minor differences in the words that is used than what Isaiah used in the Hebrew language. Isaiah used sicknesses and pains. Matthew used the Greek sicknesses. He bore our sicknesses and carried our infirmities. Well, what is it, what's the difference there? Well, infirmities could not only include pains, but it literally the word infirmities there in Matthew 8, 6, uh, 8, 16, I'm sorry, the word infirmity in Matthew 8, 17 is has the meaning of sick of weakness. He carried our sicknesses and bore our weaknesses. Well, you can imagine that would be any number of things. But there, there's no way that we could interpret that. There's no way we could translate that any other way than to mean some bodily affliction. Now, here's what many people do with Isaiah 53, 4. Surely he has borne our sicknesses and carried our pains. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. A lot of people will say, yeah, well, that's just spiritual sickness and spiritual pains. Can I ask you a question? What in the world is spiritual sickness? God didn't, Jesus didn't come to the earth to heal you spiritually. The Bible says that making Jesus the Lord of your life makes you a new creature. And the Bible is very specific Old Testament prophecies are very specific about taking the old heart 
or spirit out of you and placing a new spirit within you and then putting God's spirit in that new spirit. That's what the new birth is all about. It's not the healing of the old spirit. It's a replacement. It's a spiritual replacement. Now, folks, you know as well as I do that people go undergo hip replacements and knee replacements. There's no, there's no healing of the old one. There's the removal of the old one and replacement with the, with the titanium or whatever material they use now because of the, the condition of the old hip or the old knee joint is beyond repair, so they replace it with something brand new, right? So would we say if we went into the doctor and had a knee replacement, would we come out saying they healed my knee? Well, not if we're going to be technically accurate. I mean, somebody might casually say that, but if, if somebody didn't understand what kind of procedure they had undergone, then they'd say, oh, what did they do to heal your knee? Well, really, they replaced it. Now I've got a metal knee or a metal hip instead of the old joint and bones that I had before. Oh, well, then they didn't heal anything. They replaced it. So we might casually talk about healing from a spiritual standpoint. Uh, at least some may. I don't. But some may talk about it casually from a spiritual standpoint. But specifically, Jesus came to replace the old man with the new man. To take the old spirit out of you and put a new spirit in there. He didn't come to fix you up. He came to replace the inner man with one that was recreated in the image of God as in the original creation as God made Adam in the Garden of Eden without sin, separate from sin. And that means the new spirit being born again means there is no trace, there is no residue of sin in your spirit. There may be a residue of sin in your flesh. There may be the experience of sin in your flesh. Your flesh may be, for example, if somebody gets saved... And they're, uh, they've been smoking for years. Their body is used to smoking. It's developed into a habit, maybe even an addiction. Their body may still want to smoke. So there may still be the experience of sin in their flesh. The consequence of sin, the experience of sin in their flesh. But it's not in their spirit. Their spirit's been made new. So how in the world could Isaiah 53.4 be talking about spiritual sin? Or spiritual sickness. It can't. Surely he has borne our sicknesses and carried our pains. Never are these words translated in any context other than bodily affliction. Never. So where it says surely he has borne our sickness and carried our pains. It's saying surely he has borne the, the bodily and physical affliction of man. Notice verse 5. But... Meaning it's a conjunction, but it's a conjunction. It, con- it connects something that was just said with something that's about to be said. Surely he has borne our griefs, sicknesses, and carried our pains. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded, literally bruised, for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement, literally the bruising, of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes... We are healed. Now, folks, what does it mean when it says Jesus was wounded for our transgressions? Wounded, literally bruised for our transgressions. Isn't that talking about the penalty of of, uh, the shedding of blood that he endured surrounding the cross? And finally being crucified on that cross? Would everybody agree that that has to be what that means? We understand that's what he did for sin, isn't it? Jesus paid, he poured out his blood, he paid the price for sin with his own blood, right? Right? 
So nobody would argue. Nobody in any, in any Christian circle in, in, in the world would argue that wounded for our transgression means shed blood for, us, for our sins. Now, there's a little shade, a little difference of meaning for the next thing that he says, but not much. It says, he was bruised, same word, bruised for our iniquities. That's another way of talking about sin. The only difference in those um, uh, transgressions and sin is one is the original sin of Adam that came upon mankind, that passed upon all of mankind. The other is individual sins that you committed. But the same thing's true. We understand that bruised or wounded means Jesus shed blood. So what did Jesus shed his blood for? Well, the first two parts of this verse say that he shed his blood not only for the man's original sin, the original sin that came on mankind, the sin of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden that passed upon all men. You may remember that Romans chapter 5, uh, verse, seven, uh, verse 12 says, uh, For by one man, or through one man, sin entered the world and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men. Now, the death he's talking about is not physical death. He's talking about spiritual death. Adam and Eve died spiritually on the day that they sinned, on the day that they disobeyed God and ate of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They didn't die physically for 930 years, but they died spiritually that day, just like God said. In the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. And they did. They died spiritually. That's where the sin, the original sin, changed the nature of mankind. Man changed, Adam and Eve changed, and whoever else was alive on the earth at that time, we really don't know. We assume that it was just them, but we don't know how long they were in the Garden of Eden before they sinned. They may have had generations of children by that time. We don't know. There's no way to know. But whoever was alive on the earth at that time when they sinned was changed on the inside. They died spiritually. Even though somebody else may have been alive, they may have had children that did not partake in that sin because Adam and Eve were the federal head of mankind. The, the original man and woman of mankind, when they sinned, they sinned for all of man from that point forward, including you and me, because we were in them. Since they were the original man and woman, we who had not yet been born again and all of mankind that had not yet been born again were in them. You were in Adam when he died, so you died too. You were in Adam when he sinned, so that sin became you, was charged to you too. Folks, when you understand that, being in Christ makes a lot more sense. Because there's a lot of things that belong to you in Christ that you didn't earn. And you don't have to earn because you were in Christ when he earned them. Just like you earned sin, even though you didn't sin, you were in Adam when Adam sinned. Paul talked to the Romans a lot about God's two-man concept. The first Adam and the second Adam. When the first Adam sinned, all of mankind spiritually died spiritually with him. All of mankind from that point forward until Jesus came died spiritually. But when you make Jesus the Lord of your life, that's when that death is changed or replaced by life. That wasn't, as I said, it wasn't enough for God just to fix up the old spirit and say, well, we'll put life in there some way or another and just be satisfied with what we've got. No, a new heart I'll place within him. I'll take out the stony heart of unbelief and I'll place a new heart, a heart that's filled with love. Romans 5, 5 says the love of God is shed abroad in our heart by the Holy Ghost. When? When we're born again. That's the first characteristic of the life of God that we recognize. We know we pass from death to life, John wrote to the church, because we love the brethren. Where'd that love come from? Sure isn't of us. We've got the same physical nature and the same 
tendency to like people that like us and only them. To do good to people that do good to us and only them. But there's something else in there. There's that love of God that constrains us. That causes us to do good to people or want to do good at least to people even when they do bad to us. So, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sicknesses. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded. Jesus shed blood for our transgressions. He shed blood for our iniquities. Notice what else the, the punishment that he endured on the cross was for. The chastisement of our peace. This word peace is the word shalom. is translated in some other places in the Bible. Not every other place. But some other places in the Bible it's translated prosperity. It means well-being in every area. This is the same word that's used over in Psalm 35 verse 27. Where it says the Lord delights in the prosperity of his servants. Well, if God delights in the prosperity, the financial well-being of his servants, then it makes sense that if that was taken from them by Adam and Eve's death, spiritual death in the Garden of Eden, God would want to replace that because he delights in that for mankind. Well, how is he going to replace that? How is he going to bring it back into the, the, the reach of mankind? There's only one way, and that is for Jesus to pay a price for it. How did he pay the price? On the cross. Same cross. Not a different work. Same cross, same shedding of blood. And notice the last part of the verse, verse 5, Isaiah 53, 5. And with his stripes, we are healed. Now, what stripes is he talking about? He's talking about the beating Jesus took in Pilate's court. Jesus was beaten within an inch of his life, so to speak. Many people did die from the beatings of the Romans. The Bible tells us, actually, the word that's used here, with his bruise we are healed. Literally, the King James says stripes, but it's the word bruise. The word that's used means that there could not have been one sixty-fourth of an inch between any two marks to distinguish them. Literally, Jesus' flesh was ripped off his black. He was beaten with this leather whip that had stones and bone and rock and stuff like that in it. Little metal, uh, little iron jagged pieces. And that thing, the, the Romans would whip their, the victims with this thing and then yank it back. They'd dig it into their skin and yank it back and just tear out whole hunks of flesh. Jesus didn't have little red marks on his back for your healing. With his stripes, literally with his bruise, with the shedding of blood. Same bruise for our iniquities and transgressions. With his bruise, the shedding of blood, we are healed. Now, why would the Holy Ghost make a point to tell us in Romans eight seventeen that Jesus healed all that were sick to fulfill what Isaiah said? Because the Holy Ghost knew that a lot of people would talk about this from a spiritual standpoint and try to deny the, the, the reality of the price Jesus paid for our physical healing. And there's a lot of church circles that say, oh, no, no, no. That doesn't mean physical healing. That means Jesus did something for us spiritually. Well, in order to come up with that, then you've got to say that Jesus did something spiritually for you as far as transgressions and iniquities are concerned, but it's not the real thing. Because it's the same work of the cross. It's the same verse of Scripture that says Jesus did something for your physical well-being, your physical healing. Verse 4 identifies what it was. He Surely he bore or carried our sicknesses and, and or bore our sicknesses and carried our pains. Surely, the only time the word surely is used in Isaiah 53, which the whole chapter is about the Messiah's work. The only surely there is in that, in that chapter is verse 4. We're talking about sickness and disease. Surely, without a shadow of a doubt, without a question in the mind of an honest reader, 
Surely he has borne our sicknesses and carried our pains. Surely. Why? Because he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace. Our well-being in every area was upon him. And with his stripes, bruised, wound, we are healed. Now turn back with me to Matthew chapter 8. Because I want you to see something else about this. I'll remind you of where we started. When the evening was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils. And he cast out the spirits with his word and healed all that were sick. Why did he do that? Oh, because he was the son of God. He's out to prove that he's the son of God. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says the reason that he did it was so that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken to Isaiah the prophet, saying himself took our infirmities, everybody say our, and bear our sicknesses. Now, who does our mean? Anytime you use the word our, it means you and me. If I brought out a bowl of M&Ms and said, these are ours, who am I talking about? That means us. Now, if somebody else came in after I brought out the bowl, they said, I want something. I said, no, these are ours. Who would you understand I was talking about? The hour has to be everybody that was here when I brought them out. Everybody I included when I said, these are ours right our always means you and me or yours and mine now some people will say some of the in the church world will say well see this just proves the point jesus healed when he was here on the earth he healed to show that he was the son of god but that was done and finished and completed and this scripture says so that that work was finished when jesus was here on the earth so he's not healing like that today well that's an interesting concept because in order to accept that concept, you're going to have to take part of Isaiah 53, 5 out. And beyond that, we've got evidence of how it works where sickness, where sin and iniquities were concerned, even taking out sickness from the equation. For example, as I said, some will say, well, Jesus healed on the earth, but that was fulfilled. That fulfilled Isaiah 53, 5. That doesn't mean healing belongs to us today. That's all done away with. That was all completed back then. Let me ask you a question. Did Jesus ever forgive anybody's sin when he was here on the earth? The Bible says in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. Let me give you three. We won't turn there, but I'll let you look for it for yourself if you want to and, um, uh, and take the time if you'd like. Mark chapter 2, it tells us about one man that was crippled, carried by four friends. They came to the place, the house where Jesus was ministering, and there was such a crowd of people in there. It says specifically that the Pharisees and the doctors of the law, religious people, were crowding the room. And so they couldn't find any way to get in. So they went up on the roof, took the roof apart, and let him down by ropes. The Bible says when Jesus saw their faith, he said to them, Man, thy sins are forgiven thee. And boy, that put the religious leaders in a, in a tizzy. They started murmuring among themselves. This is blasphemy. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Now let's consider the question. Who can forgive sins except God? I can forgive what you do to me. But the sin he's talking about is the sin of mankind. Jesus isn't saying I forgive you for talking ugly about me last week. He's talking about the sins of the man's life. And who can forgive those? Only God. But Jesus answers... He knows what they're doing, and so he answers, and he says, Why reason these things in your heart? And then he asks him a question. Which is easier to say? Your sins be forgiven you, or rise, take up your bed, and walk? 
Now, I want you to consider Jesus' question. Why is Jesus equating forgiveness of sins with healing of the physical body? Clearly, he is. He says, which is easier to say? Now, if we ask that question today, most of the church world will say, well, it's a whole lot easier to say your sins are forgiven. Because then nobody's on the hook. Nobody's responsible for the physical uh, reaction or the physical results. Because you can't see forgiveness of sins. You can just tell somebody and preach to them and say, Jesus died for your sins. And all you have to do is confess him as your Lord and Savior and you'll be saved. Your sins will be forgiven. They'll be wiped out, done away with once and for all. Done deal. That responsibility is not on us that, that way, is it? So if the question was asked today, most of the church will say it's a whole lot easier to forgive sins. Anybody can do that. Anybody can, in God's stead or in Jesus' name, forgive another man's sins when he makes Jesus the Lord of his life. Right? That doesn't mean we're responsible for the forgiveness of sins. It means we're commissioning, we're commissioned to declare that sins have been paid for by the work of Jesus. So Jesus equates it. Jesus equates which is harder. He's asking the question, which is easier or which is harder to say? You look at it either way. Your sins are forgiven or rise, take up your bed and walk. Then he goes further and he says, but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on the earth to forgive sins. In other words, he said, I'm going to prove to you that I've got power on the earth to forgive sins. Please keep that in mind. Jesus is going to do, he's going to say something, he's going to do something that proves the forgiveness of sins is his. The power to forgive sins is his. He said that you, that you may know that the Son of Man has power on the earth to forgive sins. He said to the sick of the palsy, arise, take up your bed and walk, and he did. The crippled man was healed. He took up his bed and walked. How could Jesus say healing proves the forgiveness of sins? Because that's what happened. How could Jesus say, here's the proof that healing or that the power to forgive sins is mine, and that proof is the healing of this man's physical body. How could Jesus say that? Why would Jesus put those two things together? Why would Jesus say healing is the proof of forgiveness of sins? You remember where we quoted Romans 5, 12 a minute ago? For by one man, Adam, one man's sin, by one man's sin entered the world, and death by sin. Death is sickness. It includes other things, but it includes sickness as well. See, there was no sickness in the earth when God created it. The Bible said God made the earth in six days. Seventh day, he looked at it and said, it's very good and rested. Well, where was sickness? Nowhere to be found. Didn't exist. God didn't create sickness. Sickness was a perversion of life. Sickness was the result of Adam and Eve's sin and the death literally the consequences of of sin that followed after. Nobody was ever sick until man sinned. Why? Because sin, the original sin, is the origin of sickness. So when Jesus says that you may know, I'm going to prove to you, that you may know that the Son of Man has power on the earth to forgive sins, here's the proof, I'm going to heal his body. What does that tell us? That tells us that healing is not available unless sin is paid for. Are you with me? I'm getting a lot of cow gate looks. I want to go slow enough to where you understand what I'm saying. Jesus is saying that sickness is imp- uh, that healing is impossible unless the price for sin is paid. 
unless forgiveness of sin is, is accomplished, unless forgiveness is made for sin, you cannot heal. Why? Because sin is the origin of sickness. So when he says to the, sick of the man the sick of the palsy, the crippled man, when he says, rise, take up your bed and walk, he has proved beyond a shadow of a doubt that man's sins are forgiven. Because he can't be healed unless his sins are forgiven. It's impossible. Are you out there? So what did Jesus do? Jesus forgave the man's sins and it brought healing to his body. Does that mean this man was born again? Does that mean Jesus' work on the cross was unnecessary for that man because he forgave his sins when he healed his body? If that man does not receive Jesus as his Lord and Savior after Jesus goes to the cross and is raised from the dead, will that man whose sins were forgiven by Jesus on that day in his house and whose body was healed from, from uh, paralysis, some kind of palsy, whatever it was, would that man go to heaven or hell? If he didn't accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, he couldn't go to heaven. He'd go to hell. Yeah, but I thought Jesus forgave his sin. He did, but he didn't wipe away the presence of sin once and for all. For him, now he may have done it on the cross. He did do it on the cross because he died for the sins of mankind. But it's still up to the man. It's still up to the crippled man who was healed. It's still his responsibility to accept Jesus' sacrifice after it is made in order for him to have entrance into heaven. So what good was the forgiveness of sins on the earth when Jesus forgave him and healed his body? What good was it? It was a temporary covering over, not a removal, but a temporary covering of over. over. It was the same thing as the day of atonement sacrifice for him. It was God's representative, Jesus, the son of God, saying, I accept your sins are forgiven. Why? Because the man did something? Because the man offered a sacrifice? Because the man brought a lamb to be slain? No, because Jesus knew that he was here on the earth to die for mankind's sins. So he said, I'll forgive your sins because of what I'm going to do. But it was a temporary fix. It didn't negate the need for that man to be born again. And that was only possible after Jesus went to the cross, died, was buried and raised again from the dead. So we could say that the forgiveness of sins was fulfilled for that crippled man. Yet it didn't negate the need of of a savior for him. It didn't negate the need of the shed blood of Jesus to make an eternal redemption for him, did it? Couldn't have. Let me give you another example. You remember in John chapter 5, it tells about Jesus at the pool of Bethesda. There were five porches full of people waiting for the troubling of the water. At a certain time, nobody knew when. The angel would come down and trouble the water, and the first one in would get healed. You remember the story? Jesus finds this one man, knew that it had been a long time in this case, long time in a crippled condition, in other words. And Jesus asked him, he said, Wilt thou be made whole? Jesus is looking for faith. He said, Wilt thou be made whole? And the man answers and he says, I don't have anybody that puts me in the water quick enough. I have no man to put me in the water, but another comes down before me and takes my healing away from me, takes away the potential healing that, is, that would be mine if I was quick enough to get in there. What did Jesus do? Jesus said, rise, take up your bed and walk. And he did. He did. 
Now, Jesus didn't say anything about the forgiveness of sins there. But afterwards, after the Jewish leaders and the people in the, the uh, um, temple and the, the religious leaders and so forth get mad at him because he's carrying his bed on the Sabbath day, breaking their tradition. Didn't break the law of Moses, but he broke their tradition. After all this takes place and they have an argument back and forth and this guy said, well, I'm just doing what the guy that healed me told, to, told me to do. I don't care about your laws. I'm a whole lot more happy to be healed than I am to follow your traditions or what you say I can carry. So they threw him out of the temple. Jesus found him outside the temple. They had thrown him out a long time before. Religious people will do that. They'll throw Jesus out just to keep their traditions. Jesus found him outside the temple, and Jesus said, Go and sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. So what is he doing? He's showing that the forgiveness of sins was a necessary part, even though it it wasn't identified, was a necessary part for the man's body to be healed. And now he's telling him, go and sin no more. Now, why didn't Jesus say, you know, we're going to have to fix that sin problem for you? Why didn't he talk to him about the sin? Because Jesus had dealt with it temporarily. Had to have. Because the origin of sickness is sin. The third example, the woman taken in adultery. What did Jesus do? Jesus wrote and he knelt down. The religious people came by and said, the law of Moses said we ought to stone her. And they were ready to go. Jesus stooped down and he wrote something in the sand. Then looked up and said, he that is without sin among you, let him cast the first stone. The Bible says that they were convicted in their conscience from the oldest to the youngest. Young people are always the most judgmental. They're the last ones to let go. So what was Jesus writing in the sand? The only thing I can imagine that would have convicted their hearts if he's writing sins that they're guilty of. But whatever it was, it says they dropped their rocks and they went out from the oldest to the youngest. Then what happens? Jesus looks up and sees him and the woman sitting there. They're the only ones left. Jesus said, woman, where are your accusers? She said, sir, I have none. And he said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. So what's he done? He's forgiven her sin. If he hadn't forgiven her sin, then that sin would have to be paid for by the stoning, literally the taking of her life, the sacrifice of her life. But Jesus is willing to overlook that. Why? Because he's the son of God, God's representative on the earth, and has the ability to forgive sin. So we've given three examples of places and instances where Jesus forgave somebody's sins. Did that do away with the need for Calvary for them? Not one bit. So in, Romans, uh, in uh, Matthew eight sixteen and 17, where it says Jesus healed all that were sick, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. Did that do away with the, with the healing that Jesus brought to people while he was here on the earth? Did that do away with the cause or the need or the results of Calvary as identified in Isaiah 53, 4 and 5? Not at all. So Jesus could heal all that were sick to fulfill what Isaiah said while he was here on the earth, knowing full well that Isaiah's prophecy is going to be fulfilled because Jesus is going to the cross and shed his blood for sins, shed his blood for for our peace, literally our well-being, financial well-being included, and our healing, just like the prophet spoke. And notice again in Romans, in uh, Matthew 8, 8, 16, it says that Jesus healed all that were sick. Only the healing of everybody could fulfill Isaiah's prophecy while he was here on the earth. Couldn't leave one out. 
not one. Now, it's interesting. Uh, can I have another minute or two? You, are you ready to go home? All right, let me have another minute or two. Let me read to you from some scriptures. You turn with me, if you want to, to, uh, to Matthew chapter 4, verses 23 through 25. It says, And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching and preaching the gospel, and healing all manner of sickness, every kind of sickness, not one kind. There wasn't anything too hard for him. Healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. And his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought unto him all sick people that were taken with divers diseases and torments, and those which were possessed with devils, and those which were lunatic. That means mental issues. And those that had the palsy, and he healed them all. Now, uh, King James says, and he healed them. Moffat's translation, as well as others, says, and he healed them all. But you could well understand, even though the King James doesn't say healed them all, you could well understand that it means everybody that that came to him. Moffat just brings that out. And he healed them all. And there followed him great multitudes from people, of people from Galilee and from Decapolis and from Jerusalem and from Judea and beyond Jordan. Now turn with me to Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 and 36, and then I'll also read chapter 10, verse 1. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching and preaching the gospel and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them. And when he called unto him his twelve disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. Notice the heart of Jesus was such that he realized the job's bigger than one guy can do. So he translates or delegates, I should say, he delegates to his twelve apostles the power, the same power and the same authority to cast out devils and to heal every manner of sickness and disease so that they can multiply their efforts. And what caused him to do that? His compassion to heal the sick. Is there any reason why we could, should expect the compassion or the mercy of God? Those are the same words in the Greek. Mercy and compassion are identical words. Is there any reason why we should expect Jesus' compassion or mercy toward the sick to be less today now that he's been raised and seated at the right hand of God than it was when he was here on the earth? If it is, he sure tricked us when he said, it's better for you that I go away. Now, over and over again, the Bible says, the mercy of the Lord endures forever. That's, that means still now, doesn't it? Notice in Matthew chapter 12, verse 15. But when Jesus knew it, he withdrew himself from thence, and great multitudes followed him, and he healed them all. Matthew 14, verse 14. And Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion toward them, and he healed their sick. Matthew chapter 14, verses 34 through 36. And when they were gone over, they came unto the land of Genesaret. And when the men of that place had knowledge of him, they sent out into all that country round about and brought unto him all that were diseased and besought him that they might only touch the hem of his garment, and as many as touched were made perfectly whole. Luke chapter 6, verses 17 through 19. And a great multitude of people out of all Judea and Jerusalem and from the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, which came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases, and they that were vexed with unclean spirits, and they were healed. And the whole multitude sought to touch him, for there went went virtue out of him and healed them all. 
Now, folks, remember that Jesus said, I didn't come to the earth to do my will. I came to do the will of the Father. And the Bible says that God never changes. So if Jesus healed them all to do the will of the Father when he was here on the earth, well, let me rephrase that. If Jesus healed everybody when he was here on the earth to show what God's will was at that point in time and God never changes, then that has to mean for the intelligent and honest reader, it has to mean that God's will is to heal everybody now. The Bible says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if Jesus healed everybody when he was here on the earth, whatever your reason, whatever your thinking is about his reason for doing it, if Jesus healed everybody when he was here on the earth that came to him, not everybody in the world, but everybody that came to him for healing, never turned to one of them away, and Jesus is the same today as he was when he was here on the earth, how could we expect, honestly expect, that any different, there would be any different result now? If there is any different result now, then that means we're going to have to tear some pages out of the Bible because they can't be true. And so much of the church world says, well, God can heal. We know that all things are possible with God. And so God can heal, but you just never know who he will heal. Isn't it interesting that with, with all these examples, and we could give some others, but with all these examples of multitudes coming to Jesus and Jesus healing every sick person in the crowd, Isn't it interesting that in all the time that Jesus was here on the earth ministering to the sick and the multitudes that he healed, and I don't know how many multitudes are, but I I think we'd have to conservatively say these have to be thousands of people that were healed in Jesus' ministry. I wouldn't consider it to be, if it was less than a thousand, I wouldn't consider that to be a multitude or multitudes of people that were healed. Would you? That just cries out, screams thousands to me. Isn't it interesting that if the will of God is to heal some but not everybody, isn't it interesting that Jesus never found one of those unlucky ones when he was here on the earth, healing thousands of people? Because if that's God's will today to only heal some, then that had to be God's will back then. And it seems to me that there would have been at least one person in all these multitudes that Jesus ministered to and, and preached to and, and, and healed the sick in, it seems to me that there would be at least one that he would come to and said, you know, it's not God's will to heal you. But we can't find him, can we? In fact, the opposite is true. There was never anybody that came to Jesus where he turned them away. There were some people that came to Jesus that weren't in position to receive, and he even fixed that for them. He showed them how to make the adjustment so that they could receive. Why? Because it's God's will to heal everybody. Folks, finally, let me close with this. How could it not be God's will for everybody to be healed if the same price that was paid for sin is the price that was paid for sickness, which was the shed blood of Jesus? How could we say that it's the will of God for everybody to be saved because Jesus shed his blood but not everybody to be healed when it was the same blood that was shed for, both, for, the, for the price of both. How is it possible? It's not. God wills for everybody to be healed. But what does it take to get healed? Same thing it takes to get saved. The Bible says that you can't get saved without believing God. Well, what do we have to believe? Romans chapter 10 verses 9 and 10 says that if thou shalt believe in thine heart that God has raised Jesus from the dead and confess him as your Lord. Two elements, believe in your heart. What the Bible says Jesus did for you concerning salvation. And secondly, confess with your mouth Jesus is your Lord. 
thou shalt be saved. Now, it doesn't say if you do things just right or happen to hit the the right evangelist or, or you know, the moon and the stars are in the right alignment. It doesn't say anything about any natural circumstances. It doesn't say if you feel just right when you do it. It says if you're willing to believe, that's choice. That's the determination of the will. It has nothing to do with feelings. It has nothing to do with fears. Because you can act on the word being, I hate to use this term, but deathly afraid. And the word will still work for you. You can be as nervous as a cat on a stove. And act on the word and it will still work for you. It has nothing to do with feelings. It has to do with two things. It has to do with believing in your heart that what the Bible said Jesus did for you is true. And secondly, to confess with your mouth that Jesus is your Lord and Savior. Thou shalt be saved. What, what does it take to be healed then? Same thing. You've got to believe what the Bible says Jesus did for you. Well, what did he do? Surely he has borne our sicknesses and carried our pains. Because he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, the shedding of blood, with his stripes, we are healed. That's step number one. Step number two is just as easy. Confess Jesus just like you confessed him as your Lord and Savior. Confess him as your healer. And that's it. Well, Pastor Mike, when I confessed Jesus as my Lord and Savior, I was saved instantly. How long before I'm healed? Well, it depends on how you look at it. If you look at it by faith, you're healed instantly. It may take a little while for it to show up in your body, but that doesn't change the fact. The fact is, as soon as you believe in your heart that Jesus paid the price for sickness on the cross, just like he paid the price for sin, and confess him as your Savior, as your healer, as well as your Savior, that makes an instant transaction spiritually. And you know as well as I do that there are some decisions you make that it takes a while to show up in your body. For example, if I decide I'm going on a diet, and I need to, if I decide I'm going on a diet and I make the decision right now, the next time that I eat, I'm going to eat healthy and I'm not going to eat as much. How long is it going to take my body to show up the fact that I have lost weight? Longer than I want it to. But when did I begin to lose weight? As soon as I decided this is the way it's going to be. Now, we understand things like that from a physical standpoint. Why is it so hard for us to understand it when healing is concerned? Somebody might look at me and say, well, you look good. They said, I'm not done. I'm losing weight. My wife might think, you sure don't look like you've lost any weight to me. But I have. I've started the process. Not much of it has shown up yet, but I made the decision. And it was a quality decision. I'm going to follow through on it. So as far as I'm concerned, I am losing weight. It may take a while for it to show up in my body. It may take a couple of weeks for me to realize that my pants are going on easier than they used to. It may take even longer than that for somebody to recognize it on me. But when did it begin? It didn't begin when the scales told me that my weight had changed. It began when I decided this is how it's going to be. Are you with me? Works exactly the same way where healing is concerned. It's when you decide 
that the Bible is true, that Jesus took your infirmities and bore your sicknesses and with his stripes you were healed, that's when your healing begins. Well, Pastor Mike, it's going to show up sometime, isn't it? Yeah, if you stick to it. Just like your diet's going to show up sometime if you stick to it. Now, if I decide today and give up tomorrow, what am I going to see? Nothing. Wouldn't it be silly for me to make a decision to eat good from now on and, and to cut down on what I'm eating and have one good meal and then tomorrow morning load up with biscuits and gravy? And if I did and go and stand on the scale and find out that I not only have not lost weight, but I've gained a few pounds, it'd be very easy for me to say, well, that dieting stuff, that doesn't work. Which is exactly what a lot of people do where healing is concerned. They'll say that faith stuff, that faith for healing, that stuff doesn't work. It works for those that work it. And it'll work every time. Now, folks, if there's any example in the whole world that we should be able to relate to, that should be the one. And that's how healing comes. That's how healing comes. Why? Because Jesus bore your infirmities and carried your sicknesses. And with his stripes, you were healed. It's already done. If you're looking for God to do something to bring about your healing, you're looking in the wrong direction. You're looking in the future for something to happen. You need to turn around and look behind you and what the Bible says has already happened. Because behind you is the cross and on the cross Jesus shed his blood for your sins, for your peace, literally your financial well-being and your sickness. It's a done deal. All you got to do is take hold of it by faith, by believing in your heart and confessing with your mouth. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that your word is true. We thank you that Jesus healed all that were sick to fulfill what Isaiah the prophet said. Thank you, Father, that is the, is, is the, the healing of all and only the healing of all that fulfills the scripture which said, Jesus, surely he bore our infirmities and took our sicknesses. He bore our sicknesses and carried our pains. Thank you, Father. Surely Jesus has carried upon himself Just as he was made sin on the cross, who knew no sin, he was made sickness on the cross without any physical affliction of his own. He did it for us. So, Father, in Jesus' name, I want you to make a confession after me. Father, in Jesus' name, I believe that Jesus bore my sickness and carried my pains. And because I believe in my heart, That the work is already done. I confess. Jesus. As my healer. The healer of my physical body. I thank you father. That my confession. Brings the healing into manifestation. And makes it a physical reality. In Jesus name. Amen. 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 Oh, if we could only see. If the eyes of our spirit was only opened. And the only way we get them open is by confessing the word and meditating on what it says. But oh, when our eyes are opened, if we could see what Jesus has already done for us. If we could see that Jesus abolished. The Bible says Jesus abolished death. That doesn't mean he did away with the existence of it. It means he did away with the, the consequences of it in you. 
we could only see what is already ours. So many Christians are trying to get healed. You don't have to get healed. You don't have to get what you've already got. Jesus got it for you. It's already yours. I remember one time that the devil was attacking Brother Hagin. And he, uh, the devil started saying, you're not going to get your healing this time. He had symptoms in his body. And the devil started saying to him, you're not going to get your healing this time. Brother Hagin just started laughing out loud. And he, he mimicked the laugh that he did. He, and it was a, the most annoying thing you ever heard in your life. He just started laughing. Just kept up with it. Ha, 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 ha. Just kept it going for minutes and minutes and minutes. Seemed like forever. Finally, he stopped. And he said, when I stopped, the devil said, what are you laughing at? He said, I'm laughing at you, Mr. Devil. And started up again. Went forever. Finally, he stopped. And the devil said, what are you laughing at me for? He said, I'm laughing at you because you said I'm not going to get my healing. And started laughing again. This went on for 10 minutes. Finally, he stopped. And the devil said, that's right. You're not going to get your healing. He laughed at him again. Stopped and the devil said, what are you, what's so funny about that? You're not going to get your healing this time. He said, I'm laughing at you, Mr. Devil, because you think I'm trying to get my healing. I'm not trying to get anything. I've already got it. And within the hour, his symptoms have disappeared. See, when you realize what's yours, the devil can't enforce something upon you. It's by the finished work of Jesus on the cross that healing has been paid for. Why? Because sin was dealt with once and for all. And the origin of sickness is sin. When we come to realize that, you'll never have another problem with sickness for the rest of your life. Amen? Well, let's all stand together. Say it with me. Jesus is my healer. Therefore, I am healed by the stripes of Jesus. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being with us.